Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. A virus more dangerous than COVID-19. Part 2. If you've just happened upon this episode before listening to part one, I'd highly recommend that you'll stand back. That joke isn't going to age, to be honest with you, but you probably get it if you're listening to it at the time of recording. Um, I Anyway, I would stand back and I would try and tune in to part one of this podcast episode for it to make any sense because what I've done is in part one is I've sort of introduced in a way uh, the idea of when um, a cultural idea or a meme comes along it can be actually more dangerous than an actual uh, than an actual virus or the actual problem that exists and in the first part just to give you a brief summary if you just to remind you if you've already listened to it and maybe forgotten about it to summarize the point I was making was that we had a, a meme or an idea or what I would what I'm coining or saying was a virus of gaslighting uh, from the government in NFET over schools so desperate they were to keep them open by any means and they did things like say schools are safe schools are safe schools are safe and um, for months and months and months and we all even when we all knew that that wasn't particularly true however that alone I argued wasn't enough for this larger problem that might be coming along uh, which I'm calling an even more dangerous virus than COVID-19 and in this episode I aim to explain how a second idea, a second meme joined up with the gaslighting may cause something that may go out of control. Hello, hello, you are welcome to this second part of this special COVID-19 unsanitized episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net. As I've said, there's always been people who are against vaccinations, but until COVID-19, this was generally a very small group of people. And it was easy enough to ignore them, to be honest with you, because their numbers were very small. And while we never had a compulsory vaccination programme in Ireland, there really was never a need for it because the vast, vast majority of people in Ireland vaccinated themselves and their children. And the first time I ever saw any pushback against vaccines was when a group of people um, began spreading information that the MMR vaccine caused autism, which I've spoken to you about there a few a few minutes ago. Um, in the uh, in the last uh, part of the episode um it was interesting how they spread the information it was generally through fairly convincing videos and pseudo academic studies over the internet mainly on social media there's a cohort of people who point to these as evidence that the mmr vaccine causes autism despite the fact that almost all the scientific research out there shows no link whatsoever the power of the meme is more powerful than the facts. But what do many of the proponents of this view have in common? Generally, they have a child with autism, and generally they state that their child was typically developing until they received the vaccine. And rather than accept the over, overwhelming current view that autism appears to be a genetic, um, a gene- it has gen- genetics at its cause, this seems to be an affront to some parents because they possess the very genes being blamed, in inverted commas, for autism. So they look for other reasons, and they find a number of people who believe the same thing, such as it's the MMR vaccine, randomly so, and the die is cast. COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy doesn't seem any different. Seeds of ideas have been spread around the world, everything from it being an experimental drug that hasn't been tested properly, to more outlandish claims that we're all being secretly microchipped with 5G so we can be spied on by our governments of the world. Now some of us laugh at some of the stuff that's out there, but the thing is, some people believe it. And when enough people believe an idea, it can very quickly become a meme a cultural idea that be accepted as truth. And the thing that fuels a meme and makes it go viral is confusion 
and conflicting information. And I think we've had that in spades. So when we spread information that children do not spread the virus for so long, and that's what NEFID and the government did for over 20 months, it is absolutely no wonder to me that although the ECDC have recommended a COVID-19 vaccination for 5 to 12 year olds this week, or in the last couple of weeks, that most of the discussion isn't about clamouring to see who gets the vaccine first, but there's actually a deal of doubt. So do you remember when the vaccine was first released, we were all, everyone was clamouring to get the vaccination, more or less everyone was clamouring to get the vaccination. Now, 20 months later, when, when the vaccine is now available for, for children, there's a bit of doubt whether children should get the vaccine or not. Over the last couple of months, even among the most level-headed people I know, there is a definite question mark over whether they will allow their child to be vaccinated against COVID-19. And given all the data suggests that primary school children are the main source of the spread of COVID-19 right now, for a huge chunk of society, to be uncertain makes the situation very difficult. Now, this is further compounded by the fact that not a single member of public health nor anyone from government has come out to state that they may have been wrong about children not spreading the virus. And this further fuels the uncertainty and the meme collects all this and evolves, you know, collecting all this data and information, all the things that are said, all the cultural ideas, all the truths, all the statements, and it evolves to become something potentially more dangerous than the COVID-19 virus itself. Now, I'm not talking about anti-vaxxers, the, 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 the hardcore anti-vaxxers who've been denying COVID-19 at all, you know, with their stock videos of empty hospital wards or the stats that simply a flu, which were all, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, um, and these, I mean, these extreme views, they don't tend to go as viral. Most people have the sensibilities to realise, okay, they're not true. Um, and, and it's, you know, people, that's gone too far, let's say, the extremist view. And yeah, I mean, look, yes, there, there, there are a lot of people that believe these that's absolutely wild conspiracy theories. And, that, and that's fair enough. I mean, as I said, maybe, maybe they can catch on some of them. But I put those types of theories in the same bracket as the MMR causing autism category. Most people don't believe that sort of stuff. And that sort of information doesn't get tagged on to the meme, the cultural phenomenon, the cultural idea of truth to help human, the human race survive and, and keep going. What I'm talking about is the memes that can hook off something extremely believable. The example of vaccine hesitancy for children is a good example of this, in my opinion. There's absolutely no reason in the world to suggest that giving this vaccine to children is dangerous, but a huge percentage of people are either unsure or against it. And therefore it becomes controversial and really difficult to implement. However, if that was the only effect of it, well, it isn't a great situation. It's only a health issue. The problem can become dangerous. Um, the problem can be a, become a dangerous virus when it hooks into the groups with other ideologies. And they use controversial issues such as COVID-19 right now to push a wider agenda. Up until a, a few weeks ago, there was a small group of maybe less than a dozen teachers who have been, I suppose, pushing an anti-vaccination and an anti-mask agenda along, I suppose, alongside with an ethno-nationalist organisation. And members of this group have been seen, um, and, and they've no problem being seen, protesting um, at such events. Uh, there was a protest against uh, the Minister for Children, Radhika Gorman's appointment, um, on the basis of his sexuality, using the false and very dangerous meme that gay people are dangerous to children. Um, members of the group have also been seen protesting at the Eid celebrations at Croke Park, which were which have been going on for the last couple of Eids, and again spreading inf misinformation and, and another meme that this will be a step towards Sharia law in Ireland. And the one thing these things have in common, just apart from being absolutely disgusting, um, the one thing uh, that is in common about this is they're done through a lens of protecting our children. And this is um, what's most worrying about this sort of thing. It's done through the lens of something else. They have a bigger agenda there. But what they say is, you know, we need to think of our children. We need to protect our children. You will see on their posters, you will see on their banners. We need to protect our children from whatever it might be. And masks, 
and vaccines are very emotive things at the moment and they are channeling channeling those and it works sometimes so behind that lens is an anti-immigration anti-choice anti-lgbt plus agenda and i'm not saying that people who might be um who might be anti-choice let's say um, are are bad people or any in any way shape or form we might not agree with each other or anything like that but it's how the message is portrayed uh, which is which is absolutely um not right you know it's i i can't think of of <laughs> of saying you know anyone who's anti-immigration is a, is a bad person uh, i mean because i i can't see a, a positive side to that or to be anti-lgbt either i i, I can't see a positive uh, lens to be through through that at all but what i am saying is that this group is taking these con, uh, these I suppose controversial issues, uh, whether they should be controversial or not, they're taking these controversial issues and they are spreading um, a meme, spreading a virus, as I say, uh, as I've been sort of saying, um, that we're protecting our children from whatever um, they see the enemy as being, whether that's uh, migrants, whether that's uh, members of the LGBT plus community. Whether that's um, whether that's people who want uh, who who are in favour of uh, wearing masks or vaccines, and it can go on to very dangerous uh, spaces. Um, and I don't need to go on about what those dangerous spaces must might be. Now, as regular listeners of this show will remember, in the summer I was uh, racially abused by the National Party, and in my musings about it on this podcast, I spoke about how many people. Um, said to me uh, that these people, these National Party members, you know, I shouldn't worry about them because, you know, at the end of the day, they were humiliated in the election. Uh, there was a by-election at the time uh, and their leader, uh, the leader of that party, um, went, for the, went for election and got very, very few first preference votes. And I said at the time that it was, it was really of no comfort to me um, to be honest with you, that it, they were humiliated or they didn't get that many votes. Because, as I said at the time, these groups are just one argument, one argument away uh, from people starting to believe what they say as, they begin, as, as these groups link their own agendas to agendas that other people believe, you know, that might believe. And to be honest, little did I think at that time, um, and this was in the middle of COVID-19, that this would include things like vaccinations and mask wearing. Now, the angle on it, I have to say, is, is very attractive at first at first thought. Like you, you listen to the, to, to the people in these groups, these anti-vax groups and these anti-mask wearing groups, and their angle is attractive. You know, it's a breach of human rights to force people to wear masks, to force people to have vaccines. That is a breach of choice. People need to be given the choice to wear masks or have a vaccine. And, um, and the government are now trying to impose all these things to take away your choice, to take away your human rights. And the funny thing is their narrative or their meme is collecting followers or to use viral terms, hosts. 20 months ago, nobody needed to wear masks. And then all of a sudden, all adults had to wear them. And then teenagers had to wear masks. And now we are forcing children to wear masks, to use an emotive term. And the question that's always asked is, you know, when, you know, people uh, in this camp, they'll say, oh, first it was the adults, then it was the teenagers, now they're after your children, the nine-year-olds. And what do you think they say after? Where will this all end? And then they leave it at that. It's not a question they want you to actually answer. They want you to think of the worst possible scenario. We'll be masking babies and people will just be living their lives wearing masks from birth to death. They'll be in their graves with masks on. Or they'll come up with some other theory that first it'll be masks, then they'll be covering your heads and then they'll be covering your whole body and then you'll all be in uniforms and so on. You know, look, I, I don't know. I don't know where, to be honest with you, I don't know where this will all end. Um, but it's a question that isn't meant to be particularly answered. It's a question that's meant to cause fear. And it does very successfully. And hooked onto this, 
are people making claims about masks on children. So they, they give reasons why it's, it's, very, it's a, while, while it's okay for adults to wear masks, while it's okay for teenagers to wear masks, there's people going out uh, saying, you know, there's reasons why children shouldn't wear masks. Um, it creates anxiety, apparently. Now, I, I, I have to say, um, I, I, that's, that's quite questionable. I mean, in fact, everything I'm about to say is quite, quite uh, questionable. I'll take another one. It tells children they're sick. You know, I mean, where's, where's that coming from? It restricts breathing. Now, it's uncomfortable, but it certainly doesn't restrict breathing. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, obviously it's not, it's not ideal, but what it's what what it's what it's doing is it's restricting breathing um the uh, airborne disease that's out there. I mean I'm not, I'm not defending. I'm I'm arguing against the whole thing because obviously you can tell I'm um, in. I mean I, I from my point of view I'm in favour of uh, of of this measure, but I'm not in favour of how it's being forced upon upon uh, people who 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 rightly and who rightly are afraid and who and and who probably are getting hooked into these messaging. That, uh, uh, that I'm just reading out at the moment. It restricts meaningful learning is another thing they say. Um, it promotes children to live in a society of fear. And then, you know, there's no risk assessment being carried out on these and how the damage it's causing. Children. You know, these, these kind of things, pseudoscientific reasons that have absolutely no basis. Um, but at the same time, you, you one could argue and I, I think it's fair. I have to be fair, and I'm not saying I have to be balanced because I'm rarely balanced in this uh, in this podcast. But to be balanced in a way, on the other side of things, the Enfa Nefesh and the government are saying things that are unscientifically uh, are aren't scientific either. Children don't spread the virus. Children don't get sick. Where uh, schools are safe, these also are untrue. We know they're untrue by now, and they're saying things like that. There's uh, that the evidence suggests that all the uh, that this virus isn't spreading in the schools, and children are actually bringing the virus in from home, uh, and and this is why why the virus is at all there. It just so I mean, there's two sides, you know, and this is why it's controversial. Like the reason it's controversial is because there's two strong sides, both both uh, gaslighting, both of them uh, guilty of gaslighting, and this is where I think the problem is. Um, and all schools received an email uh, from a from one of the from this group that I was talking about that had a few uh, that had a few members making all sorts of claims about how principals would be personally culpable if they enforced mask wearing in schools. And this is um you know this is another thing when you threaten people with um, legal action, again what all that does is it creates uh, conflict uh, and it creates re if it creates fear. And um, it leaves people in very vulnerable positions, no matter whether whether or not these claims are true or false. And the thing is, you know, whether whether you believe one side of it or the other, the problem is we have two sides and neither of them are telling exactly the truth all the time. And this is where we have the dangerous situation. But whatever your own beliefs and whatever you feel about masks, whatever you feel about any of this, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that mask wearing has become politicised because of this polarised um, discussion that you're either on one side or another. And, and I'm uh, recording this um, and uh, on, on Thursday evening. And, you know, um, after the, after the uh, diktat uh, came out and I, I'm looking at, you know, the various uh, social media, I'm looking at various commentary on it. Um, and even the discussion is very polarised. You've got people saying um, on one hand that good, good, this is a good news and any of these parents that aren't letting their children wear masks are bad people, they're awful people, they're, they're stupid, all this kind of stuff. And then on the other side, you're getting the opposite. And this isn't good. This is not good. It's, and it just is causing this to be more and more controversial. Not wearing a mask now is seen by many as a protest against a tyrannical government. And it's no longer a very small number like the MMR people. And on the spectrum of feelings around mask wearing, um, there is everyone uh, from those who will simply do as they're told without questioning to those that will do exactly the opposite of what they're told without questioning. And in a way, I didn't mean for it to mirror um, the Dawkins spectrum of theism, as I talked about in the first episode, where you have an absolute core belief in a, in a, in a God, no matter what, or an absolute non-belief in a God, no matter what. But it does mirror that sort of sev those seven strands of that uh, of that of that spectrum people go from believing what the government and, and Neffet say 
um, without question and complying all the way down uh, to the other extreme where people will constantly question what Neffet and the government say and do exactly the opposite of it. And like with religion, most people are somewhere in between these two extremes and they hedge their bets in one area. So where I have found myself in the religious end of things, as a six, I'm pretty sure, I'm ap- I'm kind of certain there is no uh, there is no deity, there's no God. I, I, uh, there, I, I could be convinced if there is absolutely sufficient proof to say that I'm wrong, I would certainly, you know, sway um, uh, and, and change my mind. I would have no problem with that. Um, for this kind of spectrum, of things. I'm generally, I suppose, you know, similarly, uh, I do believe that this virus exists. I do believe that, um, you know, Neffet and uh, the government are trying to protect us uh, rather than harm us. Uh, but I I do, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm also um, quite annoyed and I don't believe everything that they say. So I don't know, on the spectrum of one to seven there, I'm probably in the three if I could put a number on it, which which I don't like being. You know, I'd 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 rather uh, actually be able to believe um, the, the the government, and I'd like to believe um, that they are doing no harm. Um, so it's interesting, and I kind of flow uh, in this. It's more fluid, really. Um, as I said, I've two decades of being a six in terms of my beliefs uh, in in a god, but with this thing, you know, I I think that's that's understandable for a lot of people, um, that uh, they will flow on that spectrum. Um, as as day as day by day goes by, um, I know um, you know tomorrow, for example, there's there plans to be a, a big protest out to the doll, and if that's very very heavily um, you know attended, will that you know again make people think, gosh, maybe these people have something? But I suppose I'm talking kind of philosophically here because we have to get real. We're you know. The, the idea of a God existing or not can be a philosophical conversation and it doesn't really have that much of an impact on anybody really um, at the end of the day whether you believe or don't believe you know it doesn't make any difference because the difference between this issue and the issue of religion is that there's a more immediate danger if most of us get it wrong so if you don't believe in the virus and the virus absolutely exists and is dangerous and you don't get vaccinated you could die Um you know, quite quickly, and people have died from this virus, um, and and this is what this is the difference. But I mean, as much as the evangelists believe that I'm going to burn in hell tomorrow or today or sometime, it's unlikely that my lack of belief in a deity will do anyone else any harm. However, if enough people stop listening and believing anything the government say, we've a number of much more dangerous outcomes because it isn't just the person that doesn't believe in the virus that will die; it's who they take down with them because you know of their socialization we have to be we have to you know we have to understand that you know a single uh, you know uh, th- this is where the difference is it's not just a person and their belief who get affected it's 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 it it goes much wider than that and no matter how poor a government performs and and i don't think it's terribly unfair to say that in the last year anyway at least the government have performed exceptionally badly it does open a door to potentially dangerous people who benefit greatly from disillusionment and it doesn't take a huge amount to utilize this disillusionment and slowly but surely introduce people to blame now it might start let's say these people get into power it might start with something like disbanding nefet or possibly taking legal action against members of Neffet in a in a court that might be made up of people with similar views, and you might see the likes of these people being jailed because of what they've said or done over the last 20 months. And I don't mean to be melodramatic, and maybe I'm going way too far here, but there's far too many right-wing parties growing around Europe, and we see this in countries in Central Europe, particularly growing in 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 some aspects of you know Euro, Euro um, you know Europe Asia kind of the uh, there were where right wing parties are growing, and in Ireland just because we don't have a far right party, um, you know with any I suppose with any clause right now we do have a far right we do have far right parties now, um, but they're very very I mean they're tiny tiny, but we can't be complacent. We can't be complacent. We we know now, um, for the first time, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael can no longer 
be guaranteed a majority in the Doyle. The last time they had to join together to form with, uh, and even even just the two of them on their own couldn't form a government. They had to take in a third party to to get a guarantee uh, to get a majority in the Doyle, and there's an absolute possibility. And it's not a, a, a it's if, when I say an absolute possibility, I think it's more than an absolute policy that in an election, and if we have an election very soon, that Sinn Fein may reach a certain percentage that may not need another party to prop them up. And I'm not saying that's a scary thought because I'm not, I'm not saying Sinn Féin are just a centre-left party. They're not a, I, I, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not um, an extremist party or anything. I have no affiliation to Sinn Féin. I don't, don't particularly, I don't vote for them or anything like that. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I mean, but there, but that being said, you know, there is, um, that they, they, they are going to be, uh, all things standing right now, either the majority party um, in the country or they're going to be a sole party in governance uh, in government. Um, the danger is if they don't get an overall majority. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm trying to say. I don't know what I was trying to say there for a second. But if Sinn Féin got in with a majority, over 50% of the Dáil seats, I, you know, maybe we wouldn't have a problem. They're centre-left. They're not, they're not, they don't have extreme views, let's say. I mean, they have some views that you know, a lot of people won't agree with, but you couldn't call them extremists. But the thing is, let's say they got 40% of the seats and they needed a prop up. And if you, if the likes of, let's say, your Ray Nuas, your Aintus, or even the National Party get a small handful of seats in the Dáil, okay, and they enter a coalition, let's say, because to prop up the, the majority, and maybe for the first little while they sit tight for a few years, you know, and then... They haven't caused any absolute mischief by then. Maybe, you know, they get more seats the following election. Look, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe I have that paranoia in my genes due to my background. But so maybe well, let's get back down to earth because maybe I'm going way, way, way too far with this. However, before I do, as I'm writing this script, the small group that I was just talking about there with their 30 members or a dozen members and 30 members on, within three hours of the government's announcement that they were going to force mask wearing in schools, they went from about 150 members, they went up by 66% within three hours of that message. I've been keeping an eye, okay? And today, as I, you know, this evening as I'm recording this, they've doubled their membership from that day. So they've doubled in two days um, their membership. And the variable that's there was introducing masks. And these are teachers in this group. So it's, it's, really, um, it's really interesting. You know, you know, people are saying, ah, you know, you're, you might be, I think you're overthinking this. You have to keep an eye on these things. And that group and, and I know people will argue me that they're not, they're, they're, they're only thinking of the children. We know they have links to um, anti-choice, anti-LGBT, um, anti-migrant, uh, anti uh, anti a lot of things. And we have to be really, really careful. Um, we just have to be really careful. So just, uh, I just thought I would, uh, I would uh, finish on that point uh, about that. Because for me, the greatest risk of this meme, this viral meme, is the division it's causing in society and, you know, and non-compliance in a range of issues. Now, we might get into that, but it's very hard to predict what it would look like. You know, for me, I envisage outcomes similar to, to be honest, with you, I, I do you know what I envisage. And this is the best I can come up with. The water charges debacle. Do you remember water charges a few years ago? Um, and because if I think about it now, there's some echoes of it with the mask wearing. Because I, I remember um, at the time, I remember writing an article uh, about Drihid. <laughs> Who thought I'd bring Drihid into this episode? Um, but I, did, I remember when I wrote an article about Drihid around the time of the water charges or after the water charges, when it was roundly rejected by 90% of teachers a few years ago. So don't, for, for those of you who are new to teaching and they think Drihid has always been here, Drihid is very new. And Drihid came in very controversially. And you know, 90% of teachers voted against its implementation. Um, you know, it was very, very unpopular. And my argument at the time, which is still online on onshaw.net, if you want to have a look at it, just Google Drihid onshaw.net um, and water charges, something like that. It'll probably show up. 
Its rejection was based on how the message was relayed to schools. And had it have been introduced in a different way, we possibly would have gladly taken it on. Now, that's a hard thing for me to say, but uh, because I, I, as you, you probably would know my feelings on Drihid, um, you know, and without getting into it for too long, the problem for Drihid wasn't that it was a bad idea. And I've always said this, it's not a bad idea. It's just that the teaching council failed to convince teachers and principals that it was beneficial enough for schools to take it on. They failed to convince people that it would assure the professionalism of teaching. And it, you see, the problem was it started with the head of the inspectorate, that's Harold Hislop, um, telling principals, a thousand, over a thousand principals at an IPPN conference. And it, it was like a pantomime. I mean, it, no one would argue it, was like, it wasn't like a pantomime because it actually did the, oh, yes, you will. Oh, no, we won't. Um, uh, actually happened. It was quite funny. This is when the IPPN conference was... Oh, this was when the IPBN conference was 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 great. Uh, when it was a bit of controversy, when it was a bit of fun and everything. Anyway, I, I'm 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 sounding like an old man reminiscing about the good old times. But um, when a thousand principals in pantomime cells, so they were uh, basically the Harold Hissler was saying, "You will be taking on the inspector's role of probating te- newly qualified teachers." And when and the thing was that was the stance for a while. Uh, and it was known as um, oh gosh I can't remember off the top of my head but uh, it had a it had an acronym anyway and um, a couple of years later and, and and the INTO were totally against it as well gosh they were protesting as well but then they changed its name to Drihid and they compromised their stance that uh, and and the stance for the evaluation aspect to it that principals would know they basically said principals no longer have to evaluate the um, the uh, the newly qualified teachers and no one would have to evaluate them at all, which was one of the sticking points. But they failed to provide a convincing argument as to why they were simply scrapping that. You know, you don't just take away, um, you know, a, an aspect, of, a significant aspect of a, of a programme or, or an initiative with no basis, really, other than people don't like it. And to be honest with you, if the INTO hadn't come in and gotten it over the line, I believe it still wouldn't be here. Now, water charges going back to that in Ireland, were introduced in a similar manner. There was no lead-in, no discussions, and water charges were going to come in. But the problem with it, and this is my own analysis of it, at the time, was the government failed to convince people that the reason for these water charges was nothing other than a financial one, an extra tax on people, as it were. And rightly or wrongly, um, because, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they may have tried to say, oh, it was an environmental issue. And it is an environmental issue. Water charges are obviously, you know, I, I think, um, again, it's such a divisive thing. But a lot of people would, would, would acknowledge that it's an, it, it's, it's, we do need water charges um, to ensure that we, we, we have a, a, a sort of an, a, for environmental reasons. But the government did not convince people of that. They, they, they introduced it aggressively. And they introduced it at a time of austerity and it was being seen as an extra tax. And rightly or wrongly, it led to civil unrest and large scale protests, which could have brought the government down. But what it did instead was, I think, created Ireland's highly fractured political landscape, a much more fractured political landscape. We have new political parties that, um, uh, particularly on the left side of the spectrum, um, and we have far too many of them now. We have too many political parties and it's really, really difficult to make a coalition when you've got, you know, 9, 10, 12, I don't know, we've over a dozen politi- legitimate political parties at the moment. And water charges, as I said, were probably a good idea, but it's now become a poison chalice. And with COVID-19, all, unfortunately, the same thing has happened with masks and vaccines for children. And this is very dangerous. The government in effort have spent so much time obsessing over um, doing whatever they could do to pretend schools were safer than they actually were. And now that the expected outcome has happened, they've decided to force children to wear masks. And, you know, what the thing is, they could have done other things. Um, but they've, pa- they've made a put in a panic uh, measure, which is to tell children to wear masks. And not only that, not to suggest it and not to recommend it, they've put in a situation which is aggressive an aggressive stance where children will be refused access to their schools. And, on the, you know, and, the, and, and, you know, let's not forget the government have said, you know, and, and the reason for keeping schools open is that children not being allowed into school has huge um, 
uh, disadvantages, huge effects on children. If you don't allow a child into school, they've said it affects their mental health. And the reason for keeping schools open, even when the virus is rampant in them, is because it's more on balance, it's more important for children to come to school. And then on the other hand, they have said that schools need to refuse entry to children to come to school. And that's very, very, very dangerous, um, in my opinion. Um, and however, to make things even worse, they released this instruction at half five in the evening to be implemented by schools the next morning. I mean, talk about a lesson and not how to do change management. I mean, never mind the madness of it all. And while I personally have no problem with children wearing masks, I can see why many people have strong feelings against them. And if you look back a number of months when schools reopened after lockdown, there were no masks. There wasn't no, there was no mass outrage when second level students were asked to wear masks in schools. And if at that time, primary school pupils were also asked to wear them, I think there wouldn't have been complaints. Not many complaints. There would have been a few complaints, but not at that many. There weren't that many at second level. And I don't think people would have, uh, I don't think the outrage would have been more at primary level. However, the thing is, this meme, this cultural idea, this virus has evolved. And rightly or wrongly, the cultural shift has occurred, which has now made the topic of masking children, in inverted commas, a controversial topic, almost religious and certainly political. It's interesting to note that not a single mainstream political party has said anything about whether children should or shouldn't wear masks. If you listen to any of the debates or anything like that, none of them have actually said anything. Politically, they know that it's way too hot a topic, much like the water charges. And for the government to land such a thing onto schools with less than 15 hours notice demonstrates that they are either completely out of touch with reality or they simply don't care. They're complacent. And their sole focus is to keep schools open by any means without spending any money. And if forcing children to wear masks ups that chance of keeping schools open, then it looks like that's what they're going to do. So the problem for the government is that because they have not convinced, because they've not convinced the nation that this is the right course of action, and because they gave schools less than a day's notice, and because they worded it in such a strong manner that children will be refused entry to school if they fail to wear a mask, by not providing schools with any resources to implement it, by not providing clarity on whether it's a legally binding situation or not, what they have done is to create an absolute shambles of a situation that will simply feed this virus, feed this meme and keep it going and create further and further division. And instead of introducing such a controversial thing into schools in the manner they did, there were lots of non-controversial things they could have done instead. They could have invested properly in CO2 monitors instead of sending a few of them to schools, not sending enough of them. It wouldn't have cost that much money to send in CO2 monitors to every room in a school. It would have been not a problem. You know, why would they have just sent a few? It made no sense. And then gaslighting them after sending the CO2 monitors by pretending they did more than they actually did and gaslighting them further again by saying if there was a problem, they should contact their local architect as if we have local architects that we have on speed dial to recommend further measures. And again, we would have to go through the emergency works uh, system, which is a long drawn out system. And it wouldn't have been allowed anyway because it's it, it, the nonsense. It would have cost more actually than actually throwing in the correct number of CO2 monitors. I mean, I could analyze this alone for another 10 minutes, but it's so ridiculous that it's unnecessary. And I'd argue added another small amount to the mistrust that's carrying on this meme. They could have invested 12, the 12 million euros has been calculated to ensure that every classroom had a HEPA filter machine, but they didn't. They are happy enough for children to sit in very cold classrooms and uh, have a window open, which doesn't actually properly ventilate. And I'd argue, had they have said this, uh, was it last night or the night before, um, instead of the masks, I would imagine a very, di a very different podcast with you right now. I certainly wouldn't be a two-part one anyway. And something like this would have built trust instead of division. Because when you read the room, when you find out what the country actually is looking for, 
time and time and time again, people are calling for proper ventilation in classrooms. They know that opening a window does not, it is not something that helps. It, again, what it does is it causes division because some people will believe that op cracking open a window will do enough for ventilation. Some will say it does nothing. But everyone agrees children are cold and are having to wear coats and hats and scarves and gloves. I mean, how is that any different to forcing them to wear masks as well? They're having to not have a normal, a, a typical experience of school. And if you, if they had have listened, which was basically all the people, all the people that you should be listening to, um, have said HEPA filters, what it does is by listening to that and providing the funding for these HEPA filters, it says to people, we are listening to you. By introducing masks the way they did, what they did was they were saying, we are listening to some of you. And that's very different because it creates division. And even if we look at mask wearing, the government could have recommended the use of masks for primary school children, like Neffa did, instead of threatening people. I'm not saying this would have had a positive effect, but it would have a less negative effect. By actually saying something like, we are going to turn your children away from school, and um, instead of, you know, something softer, I mean, I don't know what they think would have happened, what, why they think this was ever going to go any other way. And the whole mess has got me thinking about change and bringing about change in large organisations such as schools. The whole mask wearing thing, much like Drihid, much like the water charges, is very likely over time to be adopted. Okay? So like Drihid, Drihid was basically adopted into schools and over time, it's become the norm. There's people out there who wonder why I still give out about Drihid. Like, what's wrong with it? Like, you know, hasn't it always been this way? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting to me when I hear that. But the mask wearing thing probably will become normal over a short period of time if it was introduced in a different way. And I've already seen, you know, some representative bodies are advising schools to communicate with parents that they're going to be implementing the guidance from Monday rather than straight away. And in some ways, this may be seen by some as being complicit. Um, and it may be seen as, you know, and that these people shouldn't be doing that. But others have seen it as calming the waters by others. For example, the IPPN, um, the Principals Network, released a text message to all principals, which basically said to take some time before implementing anything. And they've been widely praised, I mean, I think overpraised, on social media by many, many principals. But the interesting thing is, they didn't actually state an opinion on the measure. And I'd go as far as suggesting that I think they will support the government decision. And for what I've been hearing them on the radio, well, they haven't, though they haven't overtly said they support the government decision, they have said that at all times they follow public health advice. Now, public health haven't said we must force um, the mask wearing in schools. They're very careful. I always notice what people don't say. They've, they said they support public health advice. The government advice is slightly different. They've gone stronger. But the other thing they ha but they haven't said is they and what they're saying is we believe there will be high levels of compliance. Now there's no basis for that, and in a way that's a bit of gaslighting as well because what they're saying is they're kind of ignoring the elephant in the room is that there are a significant number of people that will not send their children on Monday with masks, and what's going to happen then? But the response to that is we expect a high level of compliance. We will encourage people to wear the mask. They're kind of not. To me, there's something going on there, and. It's, I actually think it's going to lead to uncertainty. Um, and the question of where is this all going to lead? You know, where is this all going to end? Because you're not answering the question. When you don't answer the question definitively, you have problems. And I think it's a very interesting question, even though it's not designed to be answered, as I said. It's designed to create hysteria. Soon they'll be forcing teachers to, to stick needles in their pupils. Or soon they'll be all discriminating against children who don't have vaccination certs. They won't be allowed into schools. And I can't help each time I hear a lot of these arguments. And maybe this is where I go off the wall myself. Is when they say masks, I think of mass. <laughs> and when they say vaccination certificates, I think about baptismal certificates. You know, I can't believe they're forcing masks on our children. 
or they're being discriminated against because they don't have vaccination certs. And every year, and every year in schools, children who are not Catholic or not of a or not Protestant or not whatever are forced to go to mass. And they are discriminated against on a daily basis because they don't hold a baptismal certificate. And I listen to people I know screaming blue murder at forcing children to wear masks and talking about vaccination certificates as discriminatory. And yet happily go along with the daily religious influence in schools. And to be honest, it makes me really cross why they don't get worked up about the scandal that is how we treat children from, from minoritized backgrounds. They will be attending mass gatherings of protests around masks, but not religious discrimination. It really gets my craw or my craw, whatever the thing, whatever the, um, the phrase is. Um, about how, and it's a scandal how we treat children from minority backgrounds in this country. And it makes me wonder how and why. This controversy over masks has been so successful that so many people are questioning children's human rights about wearing a mask, but aren't thinking even twice about children's human rights not to be indoctrinated into a religion. How have we got to a point where parents will kick up about forcing their children to wear masks, but don't seem to kick up when their children are forced to sit through religion classes every day? Now, I guess I haven't found the meme shall we say, that makes this line of argument go viral. And maybe it isn't the best an uh, analogy and maybe I'm stoking the flames more than anything else. But I suppose it's my podcast. There are my feelings a little bit on it. I said I bring, I, uh, this is how I'm bringing religion into, religion in schools into it. But I do find it an interesting analogy and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, the, the more I think about it, the more I, I suppose, the more I, I feel about it, you know, strongly about it. However, anyway, it's interesting going back to these groups that are using this situation to spread this viral meme that's really successful. And some of them are bringing religion into it themselves with their, um, you know, the, a lot of them, because again, these groups uh, are using a, a, a pro-Christian message um, into the thing. And, and sometimes when their um, <clears throat> mask slips, I heard one woman in that group uh, when, at one of their protests saying this is a spiritual battle, a religious battle. So maybe bringing into religion into this argument isn't that far-fetched, maybe. Maybe not. I'm not really sure where to go from here with this episode. Um, it might be just one of these long musings of a fool. And there might be something in there, you know, maybe there is something in there for people to think about. Often when I'm doing these podcasts, I start with an idea and I and I come to the end with some new ideas, maybe new ones. I don't know. And I think it's important, by the way, before I finish, because I've been bringing my, uh, you know, this dalliance with um, Richard Dawkins into it. You know, my, my dalliance with Richard Dawkins ended a long time ago. Even, even he became too religious to me. <laughs> maybe not religious, the right word. But, you know, I've settled into a, a kind of a lazy atheism, you know, where, which I feel suits me. You know, that I don't mind what people do. Uh, in their own time, as long as they don't impose it on me. And I'm, I happily, I don't want to be converting people to atheism or anything like that, you know. Um, uh, and I, I get the view that maybe Dawkinisms, as it, as it may be known, does have a, an evangelistic uh, kind of uh, quality to it, uh, which I don't agree with. Um, however, this his meme, his idea of the meme, really got me thinking. And I hope my quest to understand how we got to this new situation Um where we have a new type of virus, a different type of virus, running side by side with COVID-19 is happening. This idea of a cultural virus, this idea of a cultural meme, an idea that, you know, masks are all of a sudden a dangerous thing. And that this has been bought into by a significant minority of people. And will we reach a tipping point where this virus actually makes us do foolish things that might actually, in reality, harm us? As a, as a society, it might kill people. Um, I don't know, but we definitely have a virus called COVID-19, which is an actual virus. And we have a cultural meme, a virus, which is run on an idea, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on some ideas that are building up and building up. And they're running side by side with each other. And which of them is more dangerous to us really remains to be seen. 
I think um, that's all I've got for now. I mean, I didn't expect to be speaking for so long about this idea. And as I said, it is just my own theory. I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing it from Richard Zawkins' idea of memes. Um, but I do see this um, growth of the anti-mask, the anti-vaccinations, the... As a, as a kind of a meme that's growing legs and it's it's been fueled I suppose in a way by gaslighting which I also think is a, is another virus another meme out there where it's become okay for governments to tell um to tell mistruths um to gaslight um, and quite quite you know without kind of um uh, you know, kind of unapologetically, really, I suppose. And uh, in reality, I think it's it's causing a growth in a mistrust of the mainstream view or of the government line, of the expert line, of even the mainstream media. And it's causing a mistrust in this, which is growing a which is a growing kind of disillusionment with um with 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 governance and 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 democracy. And that worries me as someone from a minority um, when you see, um, I suppose, groups coming together to protest um, on issues which, you know, are designed in a way deliberately to be innocent. But behind all that, we know these groups are affiliated with far more dangerous organisations. And I remember in my racism episode, I spoke um, about the uh, presidential elections and how Peter Casey was used, um, his ideas on travellers were used by right-wing parties um, to just, you know, as a, and and he got 20% of the vote based on those dangerous views. And, you know, what I'm, I suppose, having difficulty with is in the next election, are we going to find ourselves in a situation where there will be a political party who use this anti-vaccine, anti-mask stance to get into power and maybe get a significant number of votes and we are going to have an election you know at some point quite soon so it's something that we need to be um, mindful of look i'll leave it there um i hope uh, you've um, enjoyed my musing I mean, they're not enjoyable but i hope they've uh, you know maybe there maybe there's something in them maybe there isn't um and um look hopefully uh, we'll be back to normal service very soon I, I i don't expect we will be as we come up to uh, the winter break uh, but in the meantime if you've enjoyed this podcast as i said please uh, consider subscribing to it or reviewing it and um even arguing with me and commenting uh, on our on my uh, twitter page um or my facebook page um because it it's it, i think with these things these are things that open conversations i'm not saying what i'm saying is right i'm just telling you how i feel and in some ways, you know, if, if it opens a conversation, a respectful conversation, then what harm can that do? Listen, thanks again for listening. We'll chat to you again. All the best. Bye bye.